Hello friends and welcome back to Swimming and Singing. I'm Sarah Nelson. I'm a certified yoga therapist and yoga teacher and I specialize in working online with people who think they are too tired, too busy, too anxious, or in too much pain to do yoga. I use the traditional tools of yoga and modern technology to help you create a more easeful and joyful life. If that sparks your interest, head to my website to find a free guided meditation for overcoming overwhelm. And I want to let you know this is the final week that particular freebie will be on my website. So grab it while you can and check back in next week to hear about my latest free offering. The name of my podcast comes from a beloved poem written by Gregory Orr and is a reminder that some days it's all we can do to tread water and then other days there is room for joy. This podcast aims to share practices for both types of days. Today, I'm so excited to speak with the Reverend Mother, Ana Luisa Armendariz. We talk about her experience with chronic pain and how a mindfulness practice helped pull her out of the cycle of pain that she thought might end her life. Here is how Ana Luisa describes herself and her work. Every day, the mystery and I commune, whether it be through washing dishes or noticing the bird songs. My heart thrums with excitement, both when I go on an adventure out in the larger world and when I sit by my altar at home and watch the candle flame dance. For me, it's the witnessing of the natural world that brings me into an intimate embrace with the mystery. I am walking this time and space as a death midwife, working with plants and prayer to support those who are leaving, as well as as an interfaith minister, holding space for those who are yearning for something outside the confines of colonized religion. Friends, this podcast is for inspiration and information and does not replace medical care or advice. I am not a licensed healthcare professional or mental health therapist. Not all practices discussed on this podcast will be suitable or accessible to everybody but I hope that you find something that resonates and can bring a bit more ease and joy into your life. Let's get to it. Hi, Ana Luisa, and welcome to Swimming and Singing. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Good morning. So good to have you. So we'll just hop right in. You and I were chatting recently, and you shared your own personal experience with how you used mindfulness to manage pain. And I was hoping you'd share your story with the listeners with the understanding, of course, that this is your story, your experience. Neither of us is saying that mindfulness is going to cure chronic pain. That's right. Yes. And all of us have our own little story and our journeys. So yes, this is mine. In about 20, Oh, two, I started having interesting little pains in my fingertips. Mm. 
and was kind of like unclear what it was, but I just kind of kept moving forward through through whatever it was. I didn't know any better. And then for a while there, I thought, gosh, it hurts. And I'm so angry about it because I can't pick up a four because it, it exacerbates the pain. And during those uh, years, I was doing Pilates regularly. I was doing yoga. I was really involved with the yoga community uh, where I lived. And, you know, mindfulness was a beginning idea in my head, but I always thought mindfulness was like sitting on a cushion in the yoga meditation room, you know, before or after your yoga practice. So it really wasn't until I think months later, I could barely move. Mm -hmm. I, the pain that had started in my fingertips moved up to my shoulders, my neck. Um, I couldn't sit down for very long. I couldn't lie down for very long. The pain would wake me up all night long. And I was really, I, I was afraid. I was angry. I was embarrassed. I remember my then husband, uh, he really wanted to go to another community for a game. And he, I had to drive lying down flat in the back of the car because it just, it was too hard to sit for three hours and so there was a little bit of like, yeah, it was, it was shaming to, to have to talk to your spouse that I can't do those things because it hurts too bad. So in those days I frequented the library and I happened to f- see a book that almost literally jumped out at me mm-hmm. and it was called living in the light of death on the art of being truly alive by Larry Rosenberg. And you know, I, I checked it from the library that day and then I just started perusing it. And the more I perused it, the more I thought the message was to actually die. So, you know, I think by the, after, you know, lots of doctor's visits, people who couldn't really tell me anything was wrong with me. They checked me for MS. They checked me for all kinds of things and nothing seemed to work except the last doctor I ever went to go see said, I'm going to give you five prescriptions. It was like antidepressants, pain. Um, I don't know. I can't even tell you what it, all of them were. I never filled any of them because it really was an affront to me that I would mask my symptoms. So back to the book, I had a very honest conversation with a friend of mine. And I said, I, if this continues, I think that I won't live past six months. Like I will take my life and we will be done because This is not the way I want to live. And she was a very active yoga, both practitioner and a teacher and was living in New York at the time. So we had these phone calls that we, we do. And she said, you know, would you give me six months to help you? And I said, okay, but you only get six months. And you know, she started talking to me about mindfulness, not as a practice that you do on a cushion or your mat, but as a moment to moment stringing these, these slivers of time together to be more aware of, of, of you, of your breath, of being curious about your body. And so we began with that. We began with me taking uh, mindful walks every day at the same time. 
And all I had to do was just take a walk and breathe and just try to listen to what was going on around me. And there was, there's more to that. There's a lot of other little activities that she would kind of give me after a few weeks. We met every week. And what I noticed is that when my pain would spark up really loud and fiery, I would do this really kind of funny thing in my mind. I would just like turn around and look at it and I would just start breathing and just saying, what do you want? Who are you? Um, what did I just do to make you so upset? And little by little, we, we realized that a lot of these were stressors when these, um, these kind of inflammatory moments showed up. And so I found, I found out what was triggering them somewhat, but I also found out that breath work and just even, I mean, I don't know that I ever did it for more than like 10 seconds, but just like stopping in the moment, taking a deep breath and do this internal gaze at the pain and giving it more air, following its trail. And I would watch as it would just kind of like soften. It started softening. And after six months of working with my friend, I realized that the pain had abated quite a bit and that I needed to leave where I was living. And that was the next big move. And I'm not going to say that the pain went away immediately. I think it took a few years. And, but what I would notice after that is like, I think even two years later, I was probably sitting there doing something, maybe thinking something when the, the very familiar pain reared, reared up and without like ignoring it, I didn't become angry and say, Oh my God, what are you doing back? I didn't get mad at myself or feel like here's the end again. But all I did was the exact same thing I had been doing previously was like just stopping for the few moments breathing, looking at the pain, asking, what does it need? Do I, what do I need to shift to make us more comfortable? And that was it. So I have been pain-free for now decades, honestly, like it hasn't come back, but it doesn't really bother me because it's almost like I've befriended this little kind of, um, it's a, I guess it's like a sign. It's a, it's somebody who's taking care of me as well. So pain has now become somebody that I take notice of and not move away from. Mm -hmm. That was my living in the light of death era. <laughs> yeah. And the, um, the book you mentioned, um, at first you said you thought the answer was death. Mm -hmm. But eventually you moved on from that, but you still appreciate the book. You still recommend the book, correct? I do recommend the book. the The premise is it's a Buddhist practice on um, meditating on the falling apart of your body, mm -hmm. aging process, the dying process, the rotting pot process, the view becoming back um, absorbed into the into the the soil. And then it also has you like rebirthing, right? So the, the whole meditation is just watching this process. I recommend the book because 
especially in our culture, we don't want to, we, we, we turn our face away from anything that's ending, dying, passing, rotting, smelling. Like, I think I, I remember like he even talked about like, imagine the smell of your body rotting. And, you know, I mean, in this very sterile culture, we don't, we don't come across it often. And when we do, we try to stamp it out. We aerosol it, we perfume it. And that's not what I believe we're called to do, right? And so when you find this book, for whatever reason that you might be called to it, it's a practice of letting go of all his attachments to holding on to life, holding on to what is, holding on to an idea of perfection of your, that your ego is trying to, to force you to live by, which kind of shuts down every other aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for, for sharing your story. I love that um, the yoga teacher that you worked with was not prescribing you what we oftentimes people think of as yoga, you know, the downward dogs and the sun salutations and stuff. But just a reminder that yoga can be as simple as, you know, turning towards the pain and becoming aware of the pain, taking those mindful walks. Yeah. And actually, because my pain was so intense, um, I had to, to stop going to yoga completely. Yeah. And I had a job as a Pilates teacher at the time, could not teach anymore. And everything that I, that I, you know, it was in curiosity too. It was like our weekly check-ins. How are you feeling? How's your sleep? How's your pain? And adding, or mostly it was adding, like we added some Ayurvedic foods, mm -hmm. like warming foods. Uh, we uh, worked on a weekly mantra for myself that I would actually physically write down a post-it and put it on the bathroom uh, mirror for myself. And, you know, it's like the eight limbs of yoga, right? Like there's so many more aspects to yoga than just the downward dogs. It's yeah. the, the breath work, the do no harm, right? The, the harm yeah. that we can, like the asana, is that right? Asana. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 for her, it was just this kind of swirling of the different, she introduced me to the multi path of yoga without even telling me that, that that's what we were doing. Yeah. That's great. I feel like you really lucked out with that. Yeah. Your story reminds me a lot of, um, how I deal or how I have come to relate to my anxiety. So I've not been a person with a lot of pain, but I would identify as a person with kind of chronic anxiety. And, um, I have found over time that the best way to calm my anxiety is to allow it to be a teacher, to notice, um, you know, it, it's like a little flag that's like, oh, you're, you've done too much, or this isn't, this isn't good for you. This situation, this living situation isn't right. Um, and so it is, it is an easier option sometimes to numb it, um, whether that's with prescription medication <laughs> with plant medicine, like there's all kinds of ways I feel like, or, you know, with TV or whatever that we, mm -hmm. that we try to numb the pain and the anxiety. But 
I have found for the most part, if I, if I turn towards it, if I am in dialogue with it, mm-hmm. um, if it's not something I'm trying to like cure, right. then we can kind of, we can coexist and life is just better because mm-hmm. it's okay to be anxious. <laughs> it is. It's information, right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, I have a friend who has ankylospondylosis. Oh, yeah. And it's from an early age. I think he was like early 20s when that pain started for him. And the only way that he could make it for a day without like overwhelmed by the pain was to swim. And so he has become a lifelong swimmer. And he says, you know, when I wake up some mornings and I don't feel like getting to the pool and then I'm kind of, I have this like relationship with this like pain and I'm like, Oh, I don't want you to be screaming at me by the end of the day. So let's go take care of you. And, and we'll just like have a good morning. Right. So it's fascinating when I hear people talk about this diet, this inner dialogue with any number of internal ticks and ouchies and, you know, anxiety yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your spiritual direction work, specifically around illness, pain, death and dying, what what you're up to. I think it's I think spiritual direction is something people don't know a lot about. And um, the work you're doing is really interesting. Yeah. So I, you know, I struggled with spiritual direction as the nomenclature that we use Mm -hmm. to do this work because it, it really, it might repel people. Um, Spirituality sometimes makes people feel like there will be judgment. And what I like to tell people is that, uh, and I, I really love this. I am a spiritual navigator. So because of the lifelong work that I've done, I have um, studied at a Buddhist temple for years, and then I mean, and I grew up a very conservative Pentecostal Christian. Uh, uh, my family of origin continues to be a very conservative family, and I re- realized that God was so much bigger than what they offered, which led me to Buddhism, which led me also in, in tangent with yoga and Hinduism. And now I've actually reclaimed a lot of my earth-based spirituality. But what that means for me as a spiritual director is that I have now kind of cultivated a, a spiritual compass. And this compass can, and I'm an interfaith spiritual director, so some of my training has been you know, Christian, Islam, Hindu, even pagan, Wiccan, atheist. Like I've been able to cover a lot of those arenas. So my spiritual direction work is this. It doesn't matter if you have no spiritual tradition or you're trying to work away from a spiritual tradition that caused some trauma or makes you anxious or afraid. But let's pretend that you and I are going on a journey. And I have a compass. It's called my spiritual compass, Mm -hmm. my spiritual direction. And then we, we sit in dialogue and we think about, like, what is it that you're you're yearning for. And sometimes people say, I would like to start a spiritual practice, but I'm a non-believer. And I was like, all right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's get to know you and figure out what, what makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself. 
And so sometimes my compass points us to nature, sometimes to literature, sometimes to music. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, that makes me really nervous. I, I want to have a practice that I can do every day that takes two minutes and that is not Christian oriented. And my, my compass will lead us to co-creating a spiritual practice. So I, I live in the mystery around who you are. I hold a, a, I guess a, I hold a great curiosity about spirituality and the divine. And so I'm kind of just there as your tour guide and people can jump in, jump off the, uh, the trail whenever and, or change their minds. I've had people who are Buddhists who want to become, they're curious about Christian mystics now. And so we get to just kind of meander through our spiritual mountains. Nice. Aw, thank you. Thanks for, for sharing that. Sounds lovely. If someone is interested in knowing more about you or working with you, how can they, I will include links in the show notes, but how, how do they find you or what do you offer? Well, uh, an easy place for you to come and even, um, have a 30 minute free, like greet and meet with me and, uh, for spiritual direction. It's at my website, Jaguar dash journey.com. Um, you can just follow me there. I have my Instagram at Jaguar journey and a TikTok where I want to start talking to folks about just spiritual direction, the divine, the myriad of ways that spiritual lives aren't just in caves or in churches mm -hmm. or in mosques. Our spiritual lives are in our kitchens or on our walks with our dogs or when we're listening to the bird calls in the morning. I want to really encourage people to just start feeling freer about where spirit resides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh even God. in our pain, yeah. even in our pain, spirit is, is present. Yeah. Thank you. Um, can you tell me the significance of Jaguar in the Jaguar journey? Yeah. So, at a different part of my life, I went through, um, well, I need to just tell you this, that a friend of mine had noted that, um, she, she, she said to me, the universe is bending their ear towards you. You should ask for something. And in my hubris on my walk that day with her, I just like stood up straight, looked ahead and said, spirit, whatever you think I need, you should give it to me now. And never really knowing, like, like I, I didn't even know what it would be. I just thought it was going to be something nice and sweet and pleasant. And I think within, I would say 10, 15 days, uh, my world really turned really dark. Like I, like things happened in my personal life that made everything not make sense. And I felt that I was shrouded and everything that I believed in was completely obliterated. I, I went to my then priest, I was an Episcopalian at the time, and 
very little was able to offer me any kind of solace. The only thing that they told me to do was to read the Psalms every day. And so that was actually a really a, a good practice, but not one that helped me get out quicker from the darkness. Uh, I think like six months after that, I started a an herbal training program because I was in spiritual pain. I felt very dislocated in myself and in the world. I didn't understand what was going on outside of myself. And over the course of the year, learning about plant medicine, meeting shaman and curanderas and massage people from Mexico, I realized that the strength of being in the dark is being able to learn how to see really well without additional lights, without anybody kind of marking the way. And Jaguar, the Jaguar was actually called, called me. Mm-hmm. And it's my, my spirit guide. And so I give honor to that dark time because, because of that time I am where I'm at and I'm not afraid of the dark for both spiritual, physical, metaphysical, anything. And I attribute being able to see in the dark to Jaguar. So when people talk to me about being really in a dark place, I'm always like, well, Jaguars see in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad I asked. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And before we go, I would love it. You were sharing a poem with me before we started and I am a huge poetry fan. I love to bring it into my work. And so I thought I'd love for you to share it with the listeners. Yeah. So my dear listener friends, I want to share this with you because when I first heard this poem, I just thought about all those times when I've been in pain, I've known friends in pain, all kinds of pain. And sometimes people see us and they don't realize what's really going on. And there may or may not be space for us to be honest, but I am going to honor Ada Limon, who is now our national poet laureate and read her poem. And it goes like this. It's called wonder woman standing at the swell of the muddy Mississippi after the urgent care doctor had just said, Well, sometimes shit happens. I fell fast and hard for New Orleans all over again. Pain pills swirling in the purse along with a spell for later. It's taken a while for me to admit. I am in a raging battle with my body. A spinal column, 35 degrees, bent Vertigo that comes and goes like a DC Comics villain nobody can kill. Invisible pain is both a blessing and a curse. You always look so happy, said a stranger once as I shifted to my good side, grinning. But that day, alone on the riverbank, brass blaring from the steamboat natches, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a girl, maybe half my age, dressed for no apparent reason 
as Wonder Woman. She strutted by in all her strength and glory, invincible, eternal. And when I stood to clap, because who wouldn't have, she bowed and posed like she knew I needed a myth, a woman by a river indestructible. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your poem, the poem, and your time. Um, yeah, thanks for being here, Ana Luisa. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Swimming and Singing. Links and contact information for me and my guests can be found in the show notes and on my website, where you can also find that free guided meditation, Overcoming Overwhelm, for the rest of this week. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast. And if you have thoughts or comments you'd like to share with me, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep swimming and keep singing. <laughs>